Welcome everyone, my name is Nancy Vaughn, and thanks for tuning in today. We have a special one-hour exclusive interview with Dr. Katie Foster, the 16th president of the College of New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Foster uh, came to TCNJ in 2018 and has valued transparency in the budgeting as well as raising operation communications and diversity and equity. Dr. Foster and I were able to discuss plans for the fall prior to the first week of the semester. Join us as we discuss leadership in a time of uncertainty, social distancing, the responsibilities of our actions on social media, and how TCNJ is best preparing for remote learning and COVID-19. First off, I want to thank you so much for your time, President Foster. I understand this is a busy, uncertain time, and I appreciate your ability to talk with the radio station. So obviously there's much to discuss with the upcoming fall 2020 semester, as well as your general approach to making decisions for TCNJ during coronavirus. But I want to start, start by asking you like about the coronavirus at the very beginning in March. What was mm -hmm. your first impression when you heard about the coronavirus, even if it was like in the headlines, like what was happening in China, like before you even had to make decisions for TCNJ? Yeah, that is such a good question because it really takes you back to a time when it wasn't your life, you know, coronavirus, your life. Mm -hmm. I th the initial reaction was probably the same as the reaction I had with, with SARS or H1N1 or Ebola, which is, this is this very dangerous and deadly thing out there, but it's distant. It's far away. It won't bother us. It's, you know, it's, it's something I can pay attention to, kind of like a, you know, a hurricane somewhere or a typhoon. It's something that is very serious, but it's not going to affect me directly. And so I think that was probably my initial reaction based on all the other examples of things like that, that, you know, that have happened, viruses, et cetera. So yeah, so I would say pretty arm's length in the very beginning. And that's, now we're talking about, you know, sort of January and February. Uh, but when you get into March, it totally changes. I don't know if you want me, want me to speak to that, but you know, but by the first week of March, now now life is starting to change quite a bit. So uh, it was so so yeah. Again, in the beginning, I would say uh, dangerous but distant. Mm -hmm. uh, but but then we got into it, right? You know, then it's the first week of March. Um, we had provost candidates on campus. I don't know if you recall that at all. We were uh, interviewing for the vice president for academic affairs. So we had people from out of the area here. Um, you know, Vice President Felton, Vice President for Inclusive Excellence, had just started his position on March 2nd. So it was a quote normal week in the sense that we had tremendous amount of activity going on at the at the campus. And we were also a couple of weeks out from spring break too. So we're you know we're kind of culminating. You know, we're coming up to midterms and you know, just sort of everything happening that way. And then I had. I remember the, the wrestling was out at the NCAAs and the men's basketball had also won the conference and was had al already won a game in the NCAA regional basketball tournament. So again, it was, it was like a regular energized, exciting week. Mm -hmm. And the second week of March, I remember, and this is when it really begins to cascade. I mean, it really begins to be a thing like it's not out there, it's here. Because I think the announcement came on I believe it was March 6th, is that that Monday? Uh, March 6th it was, that uh, University of Washington, remember that? University of oh, Washington had canceled its in-person classes. And so all of a sudden, now this is the United States decision. It's not Wuhan, you know, it's not somewhere far away. It's, it's now domestic. And so I think we were all paying a lot more attention there. And that same day, New Jersey, Governor Murphy restricted state employees from traveling out of state. 
So I think that was the that was a real important moment where we thought, okay, now we are we are switching from distant but dangerous to you know immediate impact here at the college, here at all colleges and universities in the state and all institutions, and we've got to get going. And it was right in a rapid space of maybe a day or a day and a half that they then canceled my trip. I had a trip to see alumni and do uh, some conferences out in California. That got canceled. Um, so that wasn't happening. Uh, and there just became a cascade of cancellations leading into spring break. Um, so I wrote, you know, from a communications point of view, when you were saying before any decisions, I wrote the first missive, I didn't call it that at the time, it was just a message to campus on March 10th. Oh, that was a Tuesday. That was a Tuesday, March 10th. I wrote it on March 10th, that first message, and it basically said, um, hey, you know, everybody, we're watching this thing, uh, you know, uh, we're about to go into spring break, and we really thought we could make it through the week, you know, we'll go through spring break, go through the midterms, uh, but then we'll let you know about coming back, right? Let's do, let's do the two weeks after spring break as remote education um, with the expectation at the time that, and then we'll bring you back, right? That this thing's gonna sort of pass through the way that a, you know, a wave might pass through, then we'll bring you back. And so that was, that was March 10th. And it was also the day that then we heard about a case that had affected campus and eventually two cases of faculty members who had tested positive for coronavirus. Now remember at the time people, you know, it's, it's almost hard to imagine this now, but I don't think people really thought this is a thing you get, you know, but, but, it's, but it was obviously. Yeah. And so then we had immediately to go into the beginnings of crisis management, which is a really different, obviously communication mode than, you know, watching and waiting and seeing or, you know, planning and um, implementing. So we were sort of, you know, immediately heading into crisis mode. And it was on March 12th, so two days after I send the message saying we're going to go online for a couple of weeks after spring break, by March 12th, and that's how fast this, this, the conditions were changing, um, I write to the campus and I say, don't come back, I'll keep you posted. And so having done that, then, um, you know, we probably, I should probably go on and on about this, but I'll just end by saying that week, then the following week, which was spring break week, for the students and you know, many faculty were off campus. And we thought, well, this is like a 10 day recovery period. I wrote to the campus on the 16th, the 17th, the 19th and the 20th. That's how quickly the conditions and the circumstances were changing because, and we kept changing. You know, we kept being in a, a continual crisis mode based on what was happening in the state and what was happening. You know, we were putting up a website. We were trying to keep people posted. Um, obviously, we were learning and trying to immediately turn around information without it being bad information because there was a lot immediately happening that way, too. Um, so I'd say, uh, you know, your, your prompt to say when you first heard about coronavirus kind of leads me to say it went in a very rapid period of time, really a two week period of time from distant but dangerous to this is absolutely compelling and this will be our life for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting such flashbacks now as you talk about like the early stages of in March because it, it did feel so foreign and like none of us knew what was happening. But now in August, it's like, wow, like we have made some progress, I guess, and like what we know about the coronavirus. So yeah. with yeah. the process of the chronomissives, you know, many students are familiar reading this each week. What was the process of actually creating those and writing them? Like, 
how was that as like making decisions and knowing like what information the public need to know? Yeah, that's always a good question. You know, how do you best serve? What's that communication for? Who's reading it? You know, not only what's the substance of the message, but um, you know, so, sort of who who's receiving it and how will they receive it differently? So thank, thanks for that question. I, um, it was, I knew at the beginning, I think I can't remember when I first announced and began calling it Corona Missive, but the prompt to do that, the catalyst for doing that was that I began receiving messages back from the, the, the messages I'd sent, they weren't called Corona missives in the beginning, but the messages I sent in the beginning, those ones through, you know, 16, 17, 19, 20, I think the one on the 20th was the one that said, basically we're canceling all spring events, you know, and spring is all online. By the time we did that, it maybe was inevitable, but we began getting back tons of mail and some, some of it, was, and to me personally, so some of it was, you know, you know, I guess you had to do that and all that, but there was a lot of concern and questions and all that. So I thought, okay, I can't, I can't answer these, answer these all individually. I'll set up a thing where we don't know what's going to happen, but maybe once a week I'll, I'll write people. So that was the idea, you know, I set it up and we did it for Friday mornings thinking, well, you know, Friday, the, the week will go by, we'll, we'll gather whatever we, you know, lessons and insights we've learned from the week and we'll write it on Friday morning. So the process became kind of locked into that Friday rhythm. Mm -hmm. I would begin think I was thinking about it all the time. Like what, what would the message be? And I knew it had to be done by Thursday, essentially, or at least Thursday evening. And I have to say some of them were not done till probably Friday morning um, as we were putting, you know, things were changing so rapidly, but typically I would draft it. And I would, I had two readers on campus. One is the chief of staff for the college and the other is the associate vice president for communications and marketing. So those two people were my two people. If I could have sent it to a bigger group, knowing that it was going, the message itself was going to a big, a large audience. But the more people I have involved in the uh, kind of, you know, uh, review stage, the more time it would take and the more sort of back and forth we'd be having. So I thought two people felt right. And so I went with two readers and they would talk to me about language or maybe a word choice I had used, gaps, something that I had not said that they thought either I had promised to say it in an earlier missive or I needed to, um, you know, fill in some information that, that was real curiosity out there. Or conversely, and this, this happened as much as any of those other things, you're saying too much. In other words, it's too wordy, um, you know, try to pare it back, get to the, get to the point. You can probably tell from the way I'm doing this interview that you know I tend to have a long entry ramp into you know my point and what I what I want to say and I do a lot of throat clearing uh, as they say in in my writing I, I like to set it up or maybe have a story or a little anecdote or a quotation so they were they were pretty much taking all of that out and so we had some you know fun back and forths on on what that what what that was all about but basically it became it became probably I'd say third of my working life was being devoted from March to the end of June or the beginning of July when I, we took a hiatus um, because of, we had already made our decision then about the fall. From that period, so for about what, 12 or 15 weeks, it was taking up about a third of my time. Wow. And that wasn't a bad thing, but that was also a constant sort of rumbling expectation of this thing has to come out. And I was absolutely committed to have it be substantive. I wanted to say something new every week. 
even when there wasn't much new to say. So I think a couple of them, if you look back and you really diagnose those, some of them were just full of rich new information, you know, something, something that we had to tell the community, we wanted to tell the community, and it was really content filled. And then others, you can see there wasn't as much to say. And I felt that those were the hardest to write, right? Because you don't have as much material and yet you still are committed to keeping people connected through this, through this format, through this form of, you know, this medium. Mm -hmm. So I wanted, I wanted substance and I also wanted a tone and I wanted the tone to be, you know, positive and there's something we can find in this and there is a, you know, our, our, our resilience or our sense of community. I wanted them to have empathy sort of in the writing um, at the same time married to that direct content, clear content, et cetera. So um, I would say we, we got comments back on every one of them. You know, we would, we would kind of document the replies and uh, either I would individually or personally respond to them, or if it was a question about something particular, maybe an academic thing, I would, I would send them out to others. But, but the feedback was instrumental in also helping us to think about, okay, what wasn't clear? What do we need to write additionally about or, or clarify in a future, in a future missive? Um, last thing I'll say about this, and I know I'm blathering on, but the partway through uh, with the murder of George Floyd changed things a bit because then we had, it wasn't only Corona missive. We thought there's other critically important messaging that we need to do. And we had sent out a Monday message about the, the murder. And then we still followed it up with a Thursday message about, that was much more about what are some of the actions that TCNJ is taking? You know, where are we on some of the inclusive excellence, mm -hmm. anti-racism, social justice, et cetera? Where are we on some of these things? What are we doing? And so that came out um, from me, the, the first one that really um, fundamentally sort of hitting a lot of content. And then subsequent to that, we've had uh, Vice President Felton send those out as well. So we, we switched the name partway through. So the end of May, beginning of June, we switched them to community missive because I began having two topics going on in one message, mm -hmm. which, which was a change from, or a real, real sort of shift or a pivot from what it had been from March to let's say the end of May. Now we were pivoting. So through June, there, we had two different kinds of messaging going on which was again the, the anti-racism and and a lot of the social justice messaging, but also the coronavirus. Because at that point we were now coming into announcing our plan for fall, which we did on June 26th. Yeah, I certainly appreciate the uh, Corona community misses because it it felt like you were still connected to a school community, like you actually attended a school rather than just being online. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I probably regret um, taking the hiatus in July for that reason alone, but mm -hmm. it had also gotten to a point where we didn't have anything new. We had announced the plan, we had announced the budget, and although this is a behind-the-curtains thing, as a reality check, and Luke is on the call so he will know this, as a reality check, we had almost everybody going off on furlough or vacation. You know, July was a real shutdown month for the College of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Because we had also made the plan, we had put it into, we were putting the plan into the state. At that point, you know, end of June, we think we're in the fall flex plan. We, we had done a tremendous amount of work to get that website ready. You know, there was so much happening behind the scenes to stay connected. So we thought, okay, we'll take a breather. There's no new news. You know, we all have to get used to this and, and we're all a little exhausted 
from, from this. But I, I, I do in hindsight regret that maybe we didn't find other ways to say, hey, we're still here, we're thinking about you. But I think most of us were in a, a, a kind of, um, so we had been de-energized and I think the fatigue was quite real from a spring that had just been so unusual, so exceptional. Um, and so, so, uh, so the, the, the amount, the number of hours people were putting in had been just insane. So I think we really thought, okay, we need to take, we need to take a little time off uh, and did. And then of course I started writing again back in beginning of August well, as we were changing plans again, based on what had happened. Okay. Yeah. So like when making these decisions, what are like, of course, because like the decisions you might make one month, the next month, it's like, okay, well, we have to completely change our like initial vision. What are some strategies you would um, you would offer to students or even anyone about making these tough decisions and like even like working as a community because I'm sure um, the administration at TCNJ like as you said like your um, like a third of your time now like a third of your working time was designated towards the coronavirus so how did this really um, shift your responsibilities and how um, to be to be a leader and make decisions yeah, it's it's really my life, and I, I just want to clarify that it was a third of my time just going to writing the missive, <laughs> you know, oh. gathering information and putting it together. So I mean, I think much of our lives were completely about the coronavirus for a while there for a few weeks. I guess I'd say, I mean, decision making was we tried to put some principles together, and in fact, I wrote about them in one of the missives. You know, don't make a premature decision, make a deliberate one, base it in science, look at the evidence. Um, you know, so be be a good decision maker in that way, and yet be decisive. And so that I think is the most wrenching part of making decisions in a rapidly changing set of circumstances, because you know that what you put out one day in writing, in writing, so people can put it, you know, hold it back up to you later, may change. And so you'll note that in m many of those missives from the beginning, we said, you know, can't guarantee this, this may change, subject to circumstances, you know, environment rapidly, you know, whatever changing. So we, we, we were mindful of that right from the beginning, that this is, this is decision-making under conditions of uncertainty. We, and there's whole theories about this, but it, it was one where we recognize we are living the theories, right? This is the praxis of the theory um, of this, this form of decision-making. So we, we did try to stay really attentive to that, knowing that things could change. And by the way, every college and university president, you can see the rhetoric was so similar. Um, we all were saying it could change, you know, might go back. You know, as of Nancy, as of like this past three days, college presidents have been changing their minds, right? We made the pivot back on August 3rd. Uh, we just come through a very difficult month around the country, July. Um, we were you know, concerned about all the things I said in the town halls, you know, concerned about these things. And at that point, anyway, the state um, did not appear to be making any changes as well. So we were really, we thought, okay, we have to make this pivot. And it's not a small pivot, it's a big pivot. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we did do it, but that decision-making happens with consultation, with, you're trying to be as clear-eyed as possible, right? Mm -hmm. you, your, your feelings about it, wanting to be normal again, bringing students back to campus, the excitement of, you know, August and September, the new class coming in, you know, the, the culmination of a senior's experience, all of those things are in your mind and it's heart-wrenching mm -hmm. to, to think, okay, um, this decision 
you know, any, if, you, if I think of any individual person, I'll make this decision. But if, if I think of the collective ecosystem of people affected by the College of New Jersey, the staff, the essential workers, the people in the community, the neighbors here who have um, strong opinions about students, you know, being in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, the faculty, the, the students, the parents, the alumni, um, all of those constituencies, if you want to put it that way, have to be in our head to make a, a holistic decision, one that says what's best for um, the collective long-term interests of, of the college and of, of, of the students here. And so we, we thought of it that way because the, the short-term decision is let's, let's all come back, but you can see what that's done. You know, you, that would have been flying in the face of, of evidence and data that said this virus is very strong it loves it when people come together. You know, that's exactly what the virus goes for. You know, can't wait for you to come back together because it, it, it community spread, it's transmitted in that way. So, wow, we, we, were, we, we were all over it. We had public health people we talked to and uh, we also, you know, looked at what were other places doing. It's, this is a really fascinating group decision-making in the sense that you want to be a leader and you want to be thoughtful and you want to make the decisions based on the particularities of TCNJ, the kind of place we are and you know what our capacities are and what our values and vision is. And yet at the same time, you don't want to be way, way, way out there different from everybody else. And I will say that that happened several times that we made a decision, um, uh, for example, about athletics. We made a decision early about uh, fall athletics that was way in advance timing wise from what other people did. Now, ultimately that's what all the colleges did in, in New Jersey, um, but, but that wasn't the case when we made that decision. So I think you're always going back and forth between um, recognizing what others are doing, recognizing that you are distinct, you know, you, you have your own circumstances that you wanna pay attention to, trying to keep the sort of long-term view in mind and also this broad set of interests in mind and then following data, science, evidence, and trying not to let your own biases get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. um, so really, really trying to say, you, um, you, know, you, have, you have a responsibility um, in this decision to, to think about a greater good that isn't about a single, um, a single case. Um, but, but I have to tell you, and I'll just end by saying this, I would get an individual email, an, in, an email from an individual, and it just ripped your heart. You know, you'd think, oh, you know, you've got to do, you know, X for this person, mm -hmm. and yet doing X for this person, you know, and then doing it for every person would have meant putting others in harm's way. And so it was, it was very difficult decision making, and it continues to be, I should say, it's not over. Mm -hmm. um, we continue to have decisions that we need to make about fall. We'll have, you know, 100 people on campus as well, students. Uh, we have uh, staff and faculty who are back. Um, we are trying to operate and, and obviously get progress toward degree, which is our and a fundamental commitment here. Mm -hmm. And then we have major decisions we'll have to make about the spring as we watch the conditions through the fall. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's not over, uh, we, you know, we're still in that mode, but we will continue to uh, try to stay on principle on, you know, keep our, keep our values in the room and make sure that we're being as thoughtful and as deliberate as possible. Yeah. So you were in 2012, you were the president of University of Maine in Farmington. Um, and you've also had an extensive background in academia beforehand. Um, so what was it like? Because I remember you mentioned like comparing to what other institutions are doing. Well, yeah. Did you often like consult other colleges and universities or how, how was it um, 
how can we best treat like TCNJ's own needs compared to other colleges? Yeah, that's a really good question. So yeah, I mean, inevitably, yes, you're paying attention to what others are doing. I, I don't, I, I wake up every morning and the first things I'm reading are, you know, the daily digest from the Chronicle of Higher Education and Inside Higher Education. These are these two um, uh, sort of publications, media publications that uh, that keep me intact. In you know, it has opinion pieces, but it also has news. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at what's going on in the world of higher education and that inevitably and invariably will be about what other schools are doing what they're deciding um, who's going back who's not who's online who's not so i'm keeping track of that um, inevitably and you know seeing what they're doing at places like the college of new jersey maybe um, places that are about our size that are highly residential and that are largely undergraduate focused in, you know, in that kind of setting. So I am paying attention with particular, uh, paying particular attention to those schools that are like TCNJ. So yes, there's definitely some of that. The other network that we're part of, and it becomes the consultation network, was uh, what we call the New Jersey Association of State Colleges and Universities. And that's a group that already gets together once a month the presidents get together and we talk about issues maybe state issues or compare notes and you know how are you handling this thing you know pre-coronavirus we were doing that we've been doing that for years so now when coronavirus comes along and, and including now we're we're back together um practically weekly now that we're seeing what other people are doing so yeah there is there is quite a bit of that but you would be struck by as i am struck by how each of the individual schools. I mean, you're talking about Ramapo and William Patterson and Stockton and you know Kane. That we're talking about the New Jersey colleges and universities on the public side. But you'd be struck by how distinct they are, nonetheless. Like either because uh, the student profile or the faculty interests or the nature of the staff or the the location of the school, its facilities, um, its ability to be connected to a hospital for testing or or its relationship with the health department for contact tracing. So we are, we are comparing and we're paying attention to one another, but we're also recognizing that we are our own institution in, intentionally. So, so we did not make the same decisions as others. In fact, as we speak, um, the College of New Jersey made the decision to go uh, remote only or essentially remote only instruction for the fall, but that's not what others have done. Now, I do know that the others, because we just had a phone call about it, um, you know, are thinking about and, and watching very carefully what's going on in Michigan and Notre Dame and UNC Chapel Hill, places that have opened up and then are immediately needing to close down or take a hiatus because the cases have followed the, as, as people have come together. So there's a lot of watching and I'm sure we all have some concern. Um, and then we also are paying really important attention to what the, the governor is doing and the state guidance and policy um, to help us to understand what the constraints are and what the latitude is for any choices we might make. So yeah, there's, there's definitely um, a personalization of the institution that's going on, kind of this, this distinctiveness, but at the same time, we're um, learning from and hearing about and contributing to, I mean, many places, I sh you know, it sounds like we're looking to others. I have to say many places are looking to the College of New Jersey 
in some instances because we did go out early with a decision, in other instances because they just, you know, appreciated our planning or some of our protocol and they wanted to either copy those or at least learn from those as they were considering their own institutions. So it's a, it's a collaborative in that sense, but in the end of the day, each of the presidents and each of the institutions is making its own decision. Mm -hmm. So as we transition into the fall semester, which is now actually a little under a week, it's hard to believe. <laughs> um, how have um, professors been preparing for the online classes? Like, have there has there been additional instruction for them and like different maybe workshops on how to best utilize technology? Yes, um, very much so. We have uh, 560 faculty, that's pretty much everybody, um, who have gone through fairly in, you know, intensive training about not only sort of best practices in remote learning, but really the, the tips and the tricks and the technology of making people think much more about what's the goal of this class, what are the learning goals, what are interactive ways we can do it, what about engagement, what about different forms of assessment, uh, different forms of assignments that, that really lend themselves to uh, this synchronous meaning we're in real time like you and I are in real time right now, but also asynchronous things that students and um, the class can be doing outside of the class time that then they're bringing back to the class. So there are, there's quite a bit of, um, a, a tremendous amount of hours and work that the, the faculty have gone through. Yes, workshops, yes, training, um, but also comparing notes, coming up with creative things to do, um, you know, learning, learning the Zoom software in ways, or the other softwares in ways that um, let you use all of the bells and whistles and all of the tricks to, to create um, personalized, dynamic, collaborative, you know, really kind of a high quality education that's, that is the TCNJ way. Uh, so I think that, I think that stu students are rightly concerned that, you know, if the spring was a very difficult situation, the pivot to go online or to go to remote education was abrupt, as we just discussed about March. Uh, it was quite abrupt and we weren't, we didn't think we'd have to do it. So the, uh, the syllabi, the, all, of the, all of the work you do, you know, lab courses, et cetera, really were disrupted. And I think students have that in their head and that's understandable that, oh, it's like that. But I just need to impress upon everyone, anyone listening, that it will not be like that. Um, this, is, this is a real commitment. Um, an absolute dedication to making these classes TCNJ worthy. Uh, they will be different. They will be different, but they will also be great in, in so many ways and exciting. So I think you'll see that the faculty have thought creatively and they've thought um, quite comprehensively about what is it we're trying to do in this class and how can we do it in ways that, um, you know, that will really um, not, you know, ensure that the students are continuing to get skills development, knowledge acquisition, experiences that matter. Uh, so yes, it will be different, but I think you'll see that quite a bit of activity and work and, and real commitment has gone into making the fall, fall a special one. Mm -hmm. Have you um, been surprised by any benefits of like remote work? Of course, as we're discovering Zoom and different online resources, do you think there are certain benefits moving forward into the future of using um, technology and like remote work more? Yeah, so remote work, um, and then I'll get back to uh, an example of something that I think really has kind of maybe surprised us, but has been really beneficial. But the remote work has, I mean, one of the things 
the, you know, one of the biases we might all have is that, oh, well, we would never get our work done if we weren't together in the office, you know, sort of um, the accountability of it and the participation of it. But that has not been true. So on the staff side and, you know, staff and faculty and administration, we have essentially been working from home since March, unless you're something that's sort of known as an essential employee where um, the work can't happen other than being, you know, physically present. So for the most part, we've learned that people are tremendous, they are tremendously productive and, you know, committed and it's given a kind of flexibility, particularly for those with children in K through 12 and, you know, the schools were, for the summer schools were out in any case, but, you know, daycares are closed and a lot of offices were closed. So it's changed, it's changed a lot of dynamics, household dynamics, etc. So what we've learned is that um, we can absolutely, in a remote mode, um, operate the College of New Jersey and do it in ways that keep us connected, uh, you know, have the, 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 whether it's a Zoom call or, or other ways that we're staying connected. So on the, on the employment side, I, I would say we've got tremendous insights and lessons from this experience. And I think it will help us with things like flexible time policies, telecommuting, um, you know, sort of work work hours that are quite quite different. So that that's an exciting thing and I think it's a prospect and something we can pay attention to. On the on, on the classroom side, well again we didn't have as many classes in the summer, so it, it we don't the experiment we're about to run that experiment. But I do would like to cite one area where it turns out that that remote, especially remote one-on-one -on -one has been beneficial and we've heard positive feedback on both sides. And that's on things like telehealth, uh, the mental health counseling sessions where people were getting one-on-one -on -one advice, whether it's academic advice or um, personal advice, you know, emotional advice. Mm -hmm. um, and we found that what people are saying to us is provided, and it's an important qualifier, but you know, provided that there was a private space that the person could be in to have this session, that the mentoring was real and it felt really attentive and personal, even more so than some people might feel in office hours where you're sort of surrounded in a certain uh, you know, a certain environment of the office hour, or maybe you get nervous about even knocking on the door of a faculty member. In this way, people were getting um, a Zoom interaction, a you know, sort of a, a very personal uh, connection through the screen, yes, but all about them and, you know, devoted time to them, you know, with no distraction, no phones ringing or whatever. So, what some people have said to us is that they would like to continue in those kinds of check-ins and these personal, you know, like I said, telehealth or mentoring or advising, that those seem to have worked very well for a lot of people who had that experience through the end of spring and then into the summer. So we'll see about that. Um, certainly we're gonna continue doing advising, academic advising and other advising and mentoring. We will continue to do it in, you know, the one-on-ones and I imagine we can begin doing certain kinds of group things, like you might have a cohort of students that want to get together about a topic. And I know that programs uh, in the Center for Student Success are doing a lot of that work already and it's really been helpful. You know, same for Accessibility Resource Center, same for Inclusive Excellence. They've been doing these Zooms through the summer where they're connecting with people um, around particular topics, but it might be, uh, it could be a single person or it could be a, a small group, a limited number of people in a, in a Zoom session. Mm -hmm. 
What are some, so especially like we're all returning to uh, TCNJ like from past years, but for the freshmen, um, this is all a new experience for them. So like with college and even uh, remote college. So is the, are there still resources going on for them to have some kind of virtual welcome week? And like, what's, what are some other programs that are in place for the freshmen? Yeah, so first let me just say um, an absolute uh, hearts went out to our first year class because they also lost the end of their senior year of high school, mm -hmm. right? So this is a, this is a cohort of, of young people who have not had the college experience, but also lost something and feel they lost something at the end of their high school experience. So um, quite a number who have written and, you know, uh, excited and, and anticipating college and have been waiting for college and now feel like, you know, the, the world has shattered a bit. So um, a lot of empathy there. We, we have a lot of, um, you know, just people reaching out on that score. Um, but yes, there, there, there is a virtual welcome week. I mean, there's still going to be a play fair virtually and, and, you know, a number of the sessions that students do where they're getting information. Um, and we'll also do a convocation virtually on Monday for the first year students and you know, some creative thinking around that. And it's going to be a little different from normal, obviously. Mm -hmm. But then we're also doing something that I think is really important. We're um, finding instances and ways that the students can be back on campus, whether in small groups as allowed by state, obviously, but uh, maybe based on your FSP or based on some other cohort connection, maybe through a major, maybe the deans are able to bring in uh, the first year class for some sessions at some point. We can sit outside probably through much of, you know, September and into October. So there's a lot of planning going on around that. And it's, it's a little early to say specifically what those things are, but you could think of it as like extending welcome week or orientation kinds of activities, extending them over space and time um, so that they'll be spread out through the semester, which some people think is a better idea anyway, rather than cramming in all this information that you're supposed to you know, digest and somehow remember, um, and it's the first week of you know, your college experience, now that will be spread out a bit more. So some of the um, critical access to resources, getting introduced to those resources, you know, learning more about um, what's what's available in terms of librarians and your help on the research side. What about health? What about counseling? What about you know recreation? What about wellness? So we're we're trying to get all of that into our our first year students, um, and and a lot of a lot of attention paid to them. So you may not know this, but in the spring when we had to pivot and the heartbroken class we had at that point was particularly our seniors. So the class of 2020 TCNJ were losing the second half of their senior semester, which as you might imagine is typically full of a lot of exciting kind of passage and transitional kinds of things and um, you know, activities and both social and academic. Um, they were losing that and they, were, they also lost their graduation and their commencement. And one of the things that the Alumni Association did at the time was it really stepped up and it stepped in and had a lot of interaction with the seniors in particular. Um, things about transitioning into the working world or graduate school or just, you know, fun ways of, you know, take this picture and let's share this and um, workshops. And it was, it, was, it was really beautifully tailored to a set of people that had lost something. Well, that, now that's, that's akin to what's being planned now for this first year class is, you know, what are the different forms of attention we can pay? Um, I'll get a chance to talk with the first year class on Monday, but already now, starting Friday, I guess, um, 
when the move-in would have been. Mm -hmm. You know, we're doing a lot more with the students. And it's really a pretty impressive welcome week um, remotely, um, but still ways of doing breakout sessions and, you know, smaller group interactions and with whether it's community advisors or ambassadors or um, mentors, staff members, professionals, etc. So it's, it's different again, but um, a lot of thought and care is going into the um, considerations of the first year class. Mm -hmm. So to transition into, I remember you mentioned a little bit about um, the community missives with addressing um, different social justice movements right now. Um, I wanted to ask about liberal learning requirements at TCNJ. Have there been um, any maybe updates or any like, um, like reconsidering how we do liberal learning, like due to recent, um, recent um, events? So in a word, yes, um, an accelerated conversation, I'd say a lot of conversation about and, and leading to action about how to change liberal learning. I should say that is not in the purview of the administration. So I, I don't have sort of control, if you will, over liberal learning. It's, it's intentionally and consciously in the hands of the faculty. So there is a liberal learning segment, the faculty determine what is it that we believe students you know, need to know to be successful at TCNJ and beyond. Um, and therefore that's what the general education requirements are. That's what liberal learning will be. And that is a, a bit of a big ship to turn, um, but nonetheless, you've got a lot of people thinking about that in terms of particularly the race, class, gender component of that, how effective it is or is not, and how to make it effective so that we are in fact introducing people to the content and the con kinds of conversations and the processes um, not only at TCNJ, but in this world so that people can be um, citizens uh, appropriately in that area. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot is going into that right now. Um, you would want to talk with um, certainly the Vice President for Academic Affairs, Jeff Osborne would be overseeing the whole area, but there is a whole part of the shared governance system that is about liberal learning. Um, you know, with a task force there, with faculty and staff and student representation through shared governance. So that that's really the group that will will know the latest. Um, I will say that the infusing issues of anti-racism, social justice, um, a lot of the, um, the 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 national conversations and international conversations into the curriculum is something that is essential and that is happening. And I think the 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 debate, if there's a debate about it, is how do you do it both within liberal learning, but also importantly, how do you embed these topics and the essential information and again, you know, skills and, and experiences into every major. So, you know, I'm, I'm a math major or you're a communications major or you're a nursing major. How is that, how are these conversations happening within the context of your major so that everyone recognizes this isn't something that you just do first year, check a box, okay, I did my liberal learning on race, class, and gender, but rather this is something that is, a, is, a, is, is within, it is embedded within like the DNA of the curriculum of a major. And so that's the work that's happening in a lot of places now. So I know the science uh, faculty have gotten together, the uh, education faculty have gotten together, the arts and communication faculty have gotten together, all to say, how do we embed this work not have to depend on a course being taught, a single course being taught, you know, somewhere two years ago, but rather 
we, we are responsible for and we are being held accountable for making sure that the kinds of conversations and the discussion and the content and the, you know, all of the meaning is within, that, is within the curriculum. Uh, and then beyond that, of course, the Division of Inclusive Excellence has um, countless number of you know, workshops and programs and people they're bringing in and uh, uh, sort of a workshop on activism, for example, and how to be effective in making change and um, anti-racism, what is it? So there's an anti-racism initiative. So you, you can expect that, that the messaging around that will be um, from both academic affairs and inclusive excellence, and then as appropriate comes out of the president's office. But, but this is something that a lot of people are working on right now. So um, the question will be uh, speed to delivery, I think is one of the things that people are thinking carefully about or trying to figure out. And also sort of what's the augmentation? Because it's not as if none of this was going on before, but how do we augment it so that it is more relevant, more salient, you know, really more meaningful and impactful than ever before. Mm -hmm. So many TCNJ students have been outspoken on social media platforms about the protest and even about um, programs and maybe experiences at TCNJ. What is your perspective on um, some of these posts and like um, helping these students and like with their platform? Yeah, so social media is really, really interesting, not only around inclusive excellence, but around everything, right? Mm -hmm. you know, so what is, what is social media? Uh, what are social media and the sort of the the firmament of, of communications more broadly. And I know that the um, one of the communications that if it hasn't gone out already, it's, it's, it, it's, out, it's getting out there, is this notion and this expectation that, um, or to really manage the expectation that students may have, which is that if I post something to Facebook or to my Instagram page or to some, some other um, uh, social media format, someone will read it and do something about it. And that's not, a, that's not an expectation that, that people posting to social media should have. Um, so at the college, what the message we're trying to get out is we absolutely care about those things and we would want to root out bad behavior where it is. Um, but there are different reasons why people are posting on social media now. We've had some conversations with students about this. Some are just saying, hey, look, I, I want to vent. I want to blow off some steam. I want someone to you know, sort of affirm my, my feelings about this. But I don't really want you to take any action. In fact, maybe you already did take action and you know, I liked it or I didn't like it, the action that was taken. I just, I'm just looking for a place to tell my story and to be heard. Other people might be saying, I'm looking to out this person or name this person or call out something that happened and I want you to do something about it. And in those instances, what we're trying to do is get the message out that there are places to put that in um, at the College of New Jersey, not least the, you know, what we used to call the, the bias response team, but now it's called the bias education and support team. But all those, those sites, and so making those links available, making sure people know where to go, how to um, I, uh, report if they think there's been a violation of college policy, you know, how to get an inquiry started. We're trying to make sure that that's the information that's out there. Um, so that everybody understands, you know, this is a this is a place for due process. This is a place where um, privacy rights are important as well. And we want to be able to protect if you choose to do something an anonymously, we want to make sure that you understand what the sort of um, uh, protections against retaliation are as well, because we do have those as well. So it's a it's a it's a real interesting situation now where we have 
a medium that I think some people think of it, that people think of it in different ways and what it's ex the expectations are. What we're trying to say is we're very interested in that messaging. In fact, we'd like to thematically be aware of that messaging and we're already using it in sort of the welcome week and orientation and as prompts for discussion. But we also want people to be aware that there are channels to report things if what their goal is, is to have uh, some kind of review or inquiry or investigation happen. Yeah. Social media has been especially fascinating during the coronavirus because it's a way people kind of vent how they feel a bit more. And like, instead of like, maybe take it, like they can't come together necessarily. So it's like a way that they can have some kind of connection in some ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. I mean, and for some, like I said, it's almost like, you know, reporting to your diary, but for others, it is a, it is a social connection. And I think frankly, people are spending a lot more time right on yeah. it because yeah. We have more time and we, um, you know, we're yearning for the kinds of connections that come from it. Um, so yeah, but, and the actions that come out of it is, is that's really what I was speaking of, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a place to like get together with your friends, right. And, um, and have people, um, you know, pay some attention and affirm you and support you and all of that, all of that is to the good. And we really want to make sure that that, um, support that and yet make sure people understand that, uh, just make sure that the expectation of what will happen to a message I put out there is clear so that there aren't, um, you know, later, there isn't later confusion about, you know, what, what, what was going to happen there. But yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. Yeah. Like understanding the consequences of what they post and the actions. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's true too, right? I mean, yeah. anything that's in social media, um, we may think of these as sort of mini private forums, but in many ways that information gets out too. And we are responsible for our utterances and um, there's tremendous support in first amendment freedoms and, you know, rights and all that. And the ability to say, you have the ability to say something that I might find quite objectionable and vice versa, but yet that's not a violation, right? That's yeah. something that is a, that's a freedom that we we hold dear to um yet at the same time there still could be responsibility for something i say to you or that you say to me and so we're trying you know always that's the whole first amendment legal side of things but there, there always are consequences there, there always can be consequences for things that people say and um you know i think we've all in our lives probably said things that we would you know later regret and the choice to put some things we say out on social media is is a choice and so i think we're all we're all in a learning in a new era where technology has enabled us to be far more public with our utterances and our opinions sort of because some people might not name their true name or might hide behind some anonymity but on the other hand or we shouldn't say hide but you know really sort of cloak who they are and, and who's saying what um but on the other hand you know there are privacy rights as well. So it's really an interesting area, probably of case law as much as anything, um, that it's not my field, but it, it does strike me that we're entering into an era of just really fascinating set of both ethical and moral and um, kind of communications uh, frontiers right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I wanted to, I guess, as since our time is almost up, I wanted to yeah. uh, quickly ask you, I saw something in your bio that you were in the Peace Corps in Swaziland. I was, do you want me to speak a little bit about yeah, it? Yeah, definitely, especially now since like, I guess it's, I don't know, like since like travel and like going visiting other countries is kind of like really nice. And like, I was like, wow, remember back then? 
Yeah, it, that really does take me back here. <laughs> Long before March. Uh, so I had my master's degree when I went into the Peace Corps. I, I decided a little later. I was later in my 20s when I went into the Peace Corps. And I did it before I went for my doctorate. So I, I was trying to, I, I knew I wanted to be in the academic world. And I knew I wanted to study urban areas and cities and metropolitan issues. That was that was my field. And I thought, well, I I, I don't know. You know, should I, should I study international issues you know things like migration and you know settlements in urban areas or do i am i interested in domestic or whatever but i also had wanderlust i mean part of it for me was i had traveled and i loved traveling and i had had the opportunity to travel internationally a bit sort of on my own dime and then i thought well that's not the same thing as living somewhere you know really like picking up cultural and you know really testing myself and living without you know a lot of resources so i i wanted that as well so i you know the peace corps at least the way it worked in those days, you could tell them what kind of job you wanted, or you could tell them what kind of, what region of the world you might want. And I thought, well, I don't care where I go, but I really want to work in an urban setting. And that was not common for the Peace Corps. They tend to be rural settings. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, any place that'll take me and allow me to sort of test myself out in an urban setting, that's what I wanted. And the place that came through was Swaziland, which is a landlocked country in Southern Africa, and this was before the end of apartheid, so really a um, really fascinating time to be there. It's almost surrounded by South Africa, uh, Swaziland is, and it it's a very proud Black African nation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a kingdom, in fact, and so to be in that part of the world during this um, just ferment around apartheid, Nelson Mandela was still in in prison at that time. It was really really interesting. So I I grew a great deal. I don't know how much I contributed, frankly. You know I think we all wonder that as Peace Corps volunteers, but I know that I I experienced a lot. I I experienced a lot on um, learned about myself a lot and did some real important reflection on race. Um, lived as if you will the minority racial group for for the couple of years I was there and really thought hard about how, how do I serve? How do I serve the public? How do I serve, um, you know, how do I grow? How do I develop personally so that I can be a better leader or colleague or scholar or whatever? So I, for me, it was just really an impactful time and um, don't regret for a second that I did it. There were some challenges, but I don't regret for a second that I did it. And I absolutely encourage TCNJ students who might be thinking about um, sort of that tr a, a, a form of a form of growth and yet at the same time a form of service and contribution and volunteerism um, to, to, to give it a look. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't looked at it in a while so I, I don't know what the terms are but it's a it's a program that does um, you know they call they talk about it as the toughest job you'll ever love and they it's it's really an experience that I think um, you absolutely could take a look at. Now I should say that um, since I was in the Peace Corps really things like AmeriCorps and some of the other d domestic programs where you can do um, you know, really important service work as well have have really risen. So there, there. It's more than just the Peace Corps, but the Peace Corps is among those places that um, obviously would would provide that opportunity. Uh, on the travel side, yes, you're right. Most of us haven't, you know, practically haven't left the state of New Jersey since since March. So it it probably will come a time when we are feeling particular particular yearning to to go somewhere else and to see something different and to experience something new. So um, I look forward to those days as well. And, mm -hmm. and as well, you know, the College of New Jersey has overseas programs. We, we, we sponsor obviously a lot of study abroad. We have some offsite graduate programs around the world. So there's, there's quite a bit of opportunity at the college as well, but we've had to put that 
had to put that in a little bit um, in dormant, make it dormant for a while because of all the reasons that that we've talked about earlier in the, in the conversation, which is that we have travel restrictions, et cetera. So, but that time will come again and it will come again during the, you know, in, in the foreseeable future. So we will be able to partake of opportunities around that. And I think there are other people at the College of New Jersey who have a Peace Corps experience as well. And it might be a good idea, uh, maybe as we, as we have opportunities to come back together or through Zoom mo modality that we get some people who have been Peace Corps volunteers on the faculty and the staff and we do a little panel discussion about you know what our our experiences were, maybe what our expectations were, and um, see if we can't uh, just provide a little insight, if you will, or um, uh, inspiration, perhaps even to students who might be considering the Peace Corps. Yeah. Because every year students come out of TCNJ and some go into the Peace Corps, so mm -hmm. it's um, it's definitely a pathway that's been trodden a bit, and it would be wonderful to have other people at least give it a look. Yeah, it's something I've definitely considered. So it's it'd be interesting to. Uh, research and like investigate that more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, and actually, just as a, a plug for the Career uh, Center, that's where you could go. They could have some information on Peace Corps, but you could also obviously do a lot of, you know, website work yeah. um, just to go to the Peace Corps site itself and see, see what the application standards are, et cetera, things like that now. But the Peace Corps does require, or at least it has for a number of years now, required that you have a bachelor's degree before you're accepted into the Peace Corps. That wasn't the case in the very beginning, but it is the case now. Okay. Well, thank you so much, President Foster, for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> yeah, as, as did I, Nancy. Thank you so much. I um, really appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to uh, you know doing this again. I think it would be yeah. a great thing to do maybe once a semester or whenever <laughs> it would be appropriate. As always, we welcome your support. Visit us on WTSR or on the air. And we remind you to open your mind. Take care, everyone.